Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Richard. And how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, how are you? Yes, I'm not too bad, thank you, Richard. Not too bad. It's quite a quite a peaceful weekend. Excellent. Oh, well, that's good. And I think last time, Alan, we talked about alcohol use, particularly some of the risk issues associated with alcohol use and surrounding vulnerability and those kinds of things. And I thought today, when we considered how we might progress that, we thought about how it might be for people who have had a brain injury and maybe going back into social environments, which might include things like pubs and clubs where alcohol is available, but, but also other environments more generally where there may be um, unfamiliar people or certain challenges that might provoke anxiety or or other kinds of issues so yeah we thought that might be quite a helpful topic for people to um people to listen to i just wondered what your thoughts were about that and and what your experiences have been yes like i said i've been thinking over the weekend on on what i want to say and how how much to put it across for best best for people to kind of listen to and be able to take the information and use it so like um obviously for myself i've got like a an eye um obviously i'm i'm obviously registered half blind and severely sighted um because i've lost i've lost half my peripheral vision which to people listening is um i can i can only see uh from 12 o'clock to three o'clock if you if you could if you could picture it via a clock sort of like um description so i haven't lost all my eyesight but i've lost kind of half my face eyesight if that makes sense so i can't see anything kind of to my left I can see in front of me to my left, but I can't see anything past past that. So, like when I go into somewhere new, and if it's like brand new, I've never been in there before. Like I get quite kind of like panicky, and I think my anxious level kind of goes way above the ten. If you use that as a score, sort of thing. So um, for me, like it's quite it's quite nerve wracking, really. Like, and if if I'm looking for someone, obviously, and there's a crowd of people in front of me, that makes it sort of like 10 times harder because my eyesight's already reduced as it is, let alone I've got people in front of me and obviously they're doing their own things, whether they be carrying glasses across, watch, like managing kids, manoeuvring buggies, like anything. So it's it, it, it becomes a much harder picture for me to locate one person in a crowded area. So for me, that's that, that can be quite a scary moment. Obviously, it makes it easier if someone says, okay, right, Alan, I'm sat. I'm sat in the back. I'm I'm here on this table. I'm near, for example, I'm near a light. Let's say, okay. So for me, it's easy then to 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 map out a light because it's bright. So kind of head into that light, and then as I get close to that light, look for the table that my my friend or family sat on. That's much easier for me to be able to identify. But kind of being thrown into a room and being told, oh yeah, I'm in this room, but with no direction. For me, that's like swinging a baseball bat in the dark like I don't know where it's going I don't know what I'm going to hit and it's no good to me yeah and as you're talking Alan I'm thinking about that whole area of invisible disability that if I were to meet you if someone were to meet you they wouldn't know about that visual impairment and the way that you're describing it suggests it has a very significant impact on your functioning in a whole range of different environments particularly but not only unfamiliar ones so I think it's a really good example. And just listening to you talk, they're specific because it sounds like there are particular challenges associated with it. What what do you think you 
what, what do you think you're most anxious about or worried about if you put yourself in those situations? Because I know you do lots of things in unfamiliar environments and you've learned to cope with your visual impairment incredibly well. But I'm just wondering what kinds of worries you have associated with it. So for me, like I'm, I'm kind of very sort of like strategical in the sense that um, I will always kind of try and stand near a wall that's uh, on my left hand side, obviously because that's that's the side that I've lost the the visual impairment to. So if I stand quite close to a wall on my left hand side, there's there's a very unlikely chance that a I'm going to cut someone up, or b that I'm going to walk in front of someone that may have a tray of glasses in their hand and they're going to go flying flying. Um, so yeah, like is. What I don't mean is I don't like grip onto the wall and sort of like brush up against it as I'm walking. But what I'm saying is is it's to my left where like I would I'd I'd quite clearly identify someone if they're coming from my left with the, within the way that I use the wall or the chair or the table whatever it is that's to my left. Um, and I tend to I tend to slow down. I try and slow down my walk so it gives me that bit of extra time to be able to kind of look around and scan and check certain areas of the room first um and then and then to be to be kind of like last of my strategies um i'll tend to try and contact the person if 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 they're contactable uh, on a phone just to let them know that i'm coming into the room or the area or wherever it is we've arranged to meet just to kind of give them that inkling to maybe also watch out for me so great strategies alan i think um for, for other people who have visual impairments maybe they could relate to those things or could maybe learn and take something from your comments what's your worst fear alan if you go into a situation and maybe you can't use some of those strategies what's your worst fear would you say so for me the, the worst fear is is no one like like you just said a little while ago richard that no one can see that i'm blind looking at me a lot of people have said that when i kind of bring it up in conversation they think i'm making it up and sort of like telling a lie and i'm like well i wish i was but sadly no it's it's the vision i've got for the rest of my life now um so because people don't know that i'm visually impaired um i don't wander around with a flag or a t-shirt saying i'm blind watch out um People can do a lot of movements around me that I don't see, uh, which then looks like it's my fault, for example, if I walk into someone, if they brush past me, if I cut someone up, um, if I trip and fall, for example. It makes me kind of look silly, but it's not silly because I purposely tried to do that. It's silly in the sense that because I didn't see it, to other people it looks silly. Mm. Mm. That's, that's a good point because it may be that other people aren't taking account of of, of that difficulty that you have or find it difficult to understand why you're doing certain things why certain things are happening so it presupposes maybe you having to explain to people a lot more or have to take account of other people's reactions and i'm thinking about your particular visual impairment you described it really well earlier in terms of that 12 to 3 o'clock and it's almost as if i always think about it like um the, the chocolate oranges that you can get where you can take segments out and visual visual field impairments, which is what you have and what you described, um, people can have different types of um, what we call hemianopia, whereby different segments are missing depending upon what parts of their brain or what nerve um, centres have been affected. Um, so just to clarify, and yours, you can see between 12 and 3 on the right, 
but you can't see the rest. Is that correct, or is it the other way around? No, no, no. That's exactly as you explained it. So I can see, I can see anything from the hours of sort of like twelve and three o'clock, um, and everything sort of like before twelve or midnight, however you want to see the clock, um, is 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 in my blind field. So I'd have to turn my head to obviously to to get it within my vision ability. So there's a lot of compensation that you're describing there. So you're having to um, move your head a lot more. You're having to take account of things in your environment and how they might change. And as you said earlier, when you're talking about strategies, you're having to plan a lot more in terms of going to places, um, particularly ones that are less familiar to you. Yeah, and I, th- I think I, I think I'm more. I think I think as as time's gone on, and um, obviously I've I've understood my my injury and and what what other di- what other people have disability wise i think i think i've come to the point where actually we shouldn't be scared to be disabled there's there are there are many people out there with many different disabilities and like myself not everyone's disability can you see it's not it's not it doesn't have to be a physical ability to class it a disability um it's a disability just because it it disadvantages you as a person so that that can range from many different things and obviously i'm, I'm not a doctor i'm going to list it all here but to ask for help is 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 the is the biggest succession in life, and it it, it takes without sounding sexist here. It, it takes a real man to ask for help. So if you're if you're looking for someone and there's a barmaid that knows maybe where there's a certain table number or a certain area where people would go to sit and visit, or there's a new person that's come in, just just ask them. If they say no, I don't know anything like that. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't it doesn't aggravate that person like that person's working there to assist and help anyone that comes in their shop store pub bar whatever it may be and you're not being a burden you're just asking for something that you're not 100 percent clear on it's almost like giving people permission to help you isn't it i don't know maybe for some of the people that i speak to they would find it very difficult to either ask for help or to disclose to people why they need help they might be worried about talking about it whereas i think what you're describing is almost the opposite of that whereby you're prepared to go into situations and be quite open about some of the help that you need do you think that that's happened i'm just thinking about the comparison between you now and you at an earlier stage of your injury and your recovery and how that's changed do you think you're better at doing that now than you would have been yeah, I think because I was a bit younger, maybe a little arrogant, um, I would have asked for help, but it would have t- it would have taken me a lot longer to kind of get to that point and be like, okay, right, I'll ask for help. Whereas I'm not saying I'm lazier now, so I walk straight into somewhere and I'll ask for help. But because I have like certain strategies and, and ways that in which I'll go through uh, in wanting to complete it myself without no help, obviously I'll do all that first before I then sort of like, Ask for the help if I really need it, but I'm I'm less embarrassed. Like I'm I'm kind of like I'm not I'm not causing kind of any problems asking for someone for a bit of assistance, and mm. I've not got to explain to them my whole disability and what happened and blah blah blah. I just merely have to say, look, I've I've got a visual problem. I'm looking for someone. Um, have you seen anyone coming in? Um, and that's enough. You don't need to kind of like give me your shoe size or the age that you are or anything like that just that small bit of information can go a long way it's almost like taking a pragmatic approach alan isn't it like getting the help you need by giving the person enough information to assist you 
with that specific thing or in that specific place. And that, I think that's a really nice way of thinking about it. Do you still get anxious about going into certain places? Uh, yeah, I would be lying to you if I said I don't get anxious kind of at all anymore. Um, but yeah, it, it it takes a lot longer for me to fall into what I would consider a, a panic anxious. Um, I become like minimally anxious in kind of any new area for the same reasons of obviously my eyesight still as bad as it what it was the day I woke up of, out of the car accident. So my eyesight will never disappear. It'll always be there and it'll always cause me problems. So like, I'll always have that issue where people can walk across me and from my left and I not see them or there could be kids running around. Obviously, we don't know what way they're going to go and what they're going to do, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I still get anxious in the sense that because it's not my fault, I could still cause like a problem in the sense that I can't see it. But I think I think it's calmed down in the sense that because, I, like you said, because I move my head more, because I'm um when when entering a new area i try and familiar myself with the the surroundings so i know where like people are i know what they're doing like i i kind of i try and i i try and predict ahead if that makes sense yeah and i think those those skills are um incredibly important aren't they because they're a big way of helping you reduce the likelihood of issues which can in turn increase the likelihood that you're that you have positive experiences in these environments and that that builds confidence. You were talking about the difference between being minimally anxious and kind of quite panicky anxious. And I just wondered if you could say a bit about that difference, because I'm sure for some people listening and for most of us, where anxiety is a very, it's just a very normal response. And it seems like for you, that can change and you can have different kind of levels of anxiety. I wondered if you could just maybe describe that or say a little bit more about it yeah no so like um again in my earlier stage in my younger days kind of thing and I'm, i'm kind of being a little bit more specific to like bars restaurants and pubs here but um when when my anxiety was a lot higher uh and less controlled because because of the medication that i'm on now um i was more likely to kind of like move around quicker um probably cause more problems than i did resolve them because obviously I'm cutting in front of people, I'm sort of manoeuvring in and out. So as much as I've got a bad eyesight, I'm kind of, I'm kind of heightening the issues because I'm trying to move quicker than really what I need to. Um, I've managed, I've managed to reduce these anxiety attacks, let's say, by, by like say, because I, I walk slower now, so it gives me a longer time to process what's in front of me and around me. Uh, I'm able to kind of predict because of my life skills of what people may or may not do in front of me and and how they're going to act um and obviously predictions can be wrong of course but having that having that kind of life skill and knowing kind of like what people might do um just gives you that 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 slight better chance in kind of making a the right the right choice and the right prediction so that my anxiety levels won't go through the roof um and i haven't had a sort of like anxiety attack so i call them Uh, for quite a while because of these strategies that I've managed to kind of build myself. Yeah, it sounds like you do that incredibly well now, Alan, through a a period of um, developing those skills and practice. Are there any environments that you avoid? Uh, Well, obviously, I don't go to like pubs and clubs anymore because I have, I've I've, said to you, um, I haven't been drinking for nearly two years now. Um, But I do try to stay clear of over busy environments, to be fair. 
can you think of any in particular? And I, because as you were talking earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, I was thinking about places that I try not to go to because I maybe find them unpleasant. And the most obvious that I could think of was that of busy supermarkets where I know that there'll be lots of people. And um, thankfully, there are alternatives now. So you could do shopping online or you could go and collect it. So you could cut out that aspect of the process. But with other things, it may be more difficult to uh, find alternatives. So that was the kind of, that was sort of the thing that I would avoid if I if I could. Um, and it sounds for you that maybe your life's changed because of, of not drinking anymore. And that's made certain environments less um, less important. No, because obviously you still get that like that, that occasional time when you walk through town and it's busier because the the weather's nice or it's closer to paydays. Everyone's got money that they want to go and spend on whatever they need to. Uh, so obviously towns and like you say, shopping markets become that more busier because people have got like money to spend. Um, but then again, it's just it's just about taking the the right approach and kind of understanding your own disability and sort of like presenting yourself with your own disability. So what I mean by that is walk slower um make sure you've got glasses on if you if you need to wear glasses or you wear contacts to help you kind of like see better and like clearer um maybe maybe even have some kind of external visibility to show people that you're um disabled or not quite visually perfect let's say or you got a hearing uh, issue but then so what i mean by that is i'm not saying wear a bright yellow shirt or anything like that uh, carrying a blind stick will help identify people that you're you're visually impaired in some way. Um, wearing glasses shows that you're someone that might might have a, a shortened eyesight or not see everything as clear as other people. Obviously, a dog, if you require it, again, is, is another clear visibility that you've got some sort of either mobility or visual or even hearing problem. So what I'm saying is sort of like just, just help other people understand what your issue is um, or or make it as easy as you can for yourself. So like I say, wear glasses if you need them, put hearing aids in if you need them, carry a walking stick if you need them. These are also like external visual um, signs to people just to like be a bit careful around you because you're not, you're not as fortunate as what they could be. They can sometimes be really important those, Alan, because they can give people uh, very immediate information about you without you having to tell them so that they can make allowances or maybe preempt where you might need support. So I think that's a really good point. I, I, I guess there may also be obstacles to people using those things because they don't want to appear disabled or they don't want to um, use certain things that they might find stigmatising. Um, and I, I guess that's also important for uh, for us to recognise, isn't it, that that might be harder for some people compared to others. Yeah, and I agree on that, that we don't always want to flash kind of like what we've got in the sense of obviously being being that disabled in whatever way we are. We don't want to kind of tell everyone that that we've got this disability. But then at the same time, I think a lot of people would be shocked on how how different people can kind of change around you in the sense of wanting to help and not patronise you or anything like that. Um, having these sort of like external visual or physical kind of like signs to say that you're not 100% like everyone else, just kind of gives people that that bit of warning that if you're struggling or if you are if you look quite lost or anything like that, it just it just shows that you, you're, you're kind of asking for help without needing to ask for it, but you're also saying, like, I don't need the help, 
unless I look like I'm lost kind of thing. Is there a flip side to this, Alan? Is it possible that you could make yourself more vulnerable by giving people information uh, that indicates that you have a disability? Uh, I would say yes, there is. And I think that would all kind of depend on the um, environment that you put yourself in. So I think if you put yourself in, I'm going back to the pub scenario here, and even though I haven't been drinking for two years, I do speak about the pub quite a lot, but I only, I only speak of it in experience. So walking around maybe with a blind stick or anything like that in a pub and club, I think you're setting yourself up for failure. But if if you're walking through like town or you're in a shopping market or you're looking for clothes and you've got one of these these kind of like um, uh, disability kind of aids, then... I think, I think not. No. So there is a balance to be had. It sounds like maybe um, again management of environments or making better decisions about uh, where you go, when you go, who you go with. I know we talked before in a previous podcast and about um, that thing about going or um, being out in these environments with people that we know are going to be supportive and understand our needs. And I think those things become really important then in terms of what you're saying. Do you think, Alan, that because as we're talking, we've talked a lot so far about visual impairment and that for you is incredibly important to talk about and think about because of how you've managed that and how that might assist or inform other people who are dealing with similar issues. I'm thinking about other aspects of brain injury here as well. So, for example, I talk to some people who um, have significant anxieties or challenges associated with um, cognitive problems such as memory disorders or um, other kinds of processing deficits, which might be really difficult to manage in a social environment. And I just wondered if you could maybe say a little bit about those things too. Yeah, and I think uh, the the people in which you can describe there, I, I think I can associate myself, again, I'm talking of an earlier stage of my recovery here again, where I was I was very sort of like impulsive, I was very like scared of being out and I'd get mixed up in order, I need to do things because of the kind of anxiety and stuff like that. So so what I tend to do now is, is kind of, again, I use, I use strategies in the sense of I, I kind of plan where I need to go, in what order maybe I need to do them, and that could be in, in order of the, where the shops are. So rather than walking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you're just doing it in one one straight line. Um, or maybe you're ordering it in the sense of because you're familiar with the shop that you're going to, that you're gonna you're gonna come to, for example, apples first, and then behind that you're gonna come to cheese, and then behind that you're gonna come to meat. So if you're writing a shopping list, try and write it in the order of of the shop, so it makes it easier. And you're not having to keep going back and forth um, to obviously complete your list, whether that be a food shop or clothes shop or just a wandering town. Well, I suspect, Helen, that many of the things that you talked about in terms of how you strategize and compensate for your visual field deficit might also be highly relevant to some of these cognitive changes too. So I'm thinking about things like slowing down, um, not, not rushing yourself, um, planning ahead, um, maybe managing the environment better or taking into account things that you might need, asking for help. All of those things are still really relevant with regards to cognitive changes too. 
Yeah, and I, I also see it as is, is a way in which I kind of I think I better myself not only as a person but in but in in the brain injury kind of world and kind of what I mean by that is obviously because you're because you're planning and problem solving and obviously things can go wrong and things can kind of get in the way to cause the 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 order in which the list that you wrote uh, to change and stuff like that. But because because this is what you would do in rehab and the more that you do it, the more practice that you get. Um, the 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 better you can become at sort of like fixing, um, fixing the problem if it if it was to arise, kind of thing. So, I think as much as it sounds boring and everything like that, that you don't want to write a list and you don't want to do it in that order. I think over time, people with the brain injury will start to notice that it actually becomes like a second part of nature. You start to do it without really needing to think of it, so it becomes more of your normal world. I think when you first try something. Because because a therapist or someone has kind of recommended it, you think, oh, I don't want to do that because they've because they've suggested it because it doesn't feel quite normal, and I can agree to that. And again, I can kind of relate to that. But I think the more you do something, and the the, the more help that you accept, the more it does become your own world. Yeah, there's something in there on about sort of good habits, isn't there? Just getting into habits that are conducive to managing our difficulties better um and also i always think that people tend to repeat things that work so if that's kind of if they've done that in a particular situation and they had a positive outcome they're more likely to do it again and again and then that can kind of generalize to other situations too so i think there's something there about practice as well and the process of of rehabilitation which i think you've alluded to um one thing i'm very aware of and is when we're talking about this we're often emphasizing the importance of people who have a disability trying to fit in to environments and society i'm just wondering if there's more that environments and society can do to help people with disability because there will be some people listening to this now who maybe um uh have a say in that and maybe can change environments or can change aspects of our experience i just wonder what you would say to them uh was that's that's quite a big question that to be fair richard and it's it's easy to say that maybe we should try and get the environment to change to us kind of thing but then that would make it harder like to knock down a building to rebuild it for everyone that's disabled sort of thing so i just think i just think it's okay to be different to everyone else it's okay to need support it's okay to trip up in the sense of you've gone to the wrong shelf and the item you're looking for isn't there when it's the it's the old down below no one no one in this world is perfect and even if they think they are perfect then they're they they've got they've got a bigger problem than what we have indeed and and i was thinking the other day about how the, the big strides that we've made in terms of making certain environments more accessible for people with physical disabilities the most obvious being wheelchair access i know we've got an awful long way to go with that but things have changed certainly over the last 20 or 30 years. Things have changed dramatically, particularly in certain environments um, and how, for example, certain buildings are designed or, or built. Um, and I'm just wondering what the equivalent is for non-physical disabilities and challenges and how we might do that better. But as you said, that's a very big question, isn't it? Maybe it's one that we could all go away and think about in terms of what that might what that might mean for um, the design and planning of 
environments, be that pubs and clubs for young people who've got disabilities, um, or other types of environments that we don't have much choice about, like public transport. We've, to some degree, all got to use public transport at certain times, or often we do, um, and how we can make those environments better. Yeah, I think I think what maybe would benefit the world a bit better is if if people were maybe just that a bit more kind of respectful and um, understood that there are disabilities out there that they may never have heard of before, but just because they've never heard of them, it doesn't mean that they don't exist. So just allow allow someone to be different from from that word perfect so you want to use. Like I say, there's no such thing as perfect, but not everyone is as fortunate in this world to be born, being able to do everything, see everything and hear everything. Yeah, how do you think we educate people better? Alan, it's, uh, it's a big job. It's a hard job, isn't it? I wonder if that starts in um, in schools and colleges where maybe it, it's possible to have um, different kinds of discussions about disability and what it might mean, different types of disability and how we uh, how we manage that. Uh, well, at some point, I would like to I'd like to approach the government to be able to kind of help them help me. Uh, educate the world eventually hopefully that there are many disabilities out there that you'll never know about but that doesn't mean that no one hasn't got it yeah it's maybe about sort of that again about that invisibility and isn't it how we can help people understand things that aren't obvious or very visibly evident to them and because i think many of us still struggle a lot with invisible disability we're kind of not too sure how best to approach that and what it might mean and just the kinds of different kind of things that people might be encountering. So I think you're you're right about this probably needs to be um, a top-down kind of process, doesn't it, with um, different kinds of things that maybe the government could do to help with this. I'm thinking about the recent, there's a, a recent acquired brain injury bill that went through Parliament and which was um, around how the government could and how we could all meet the needs of people with acquired brain injury better. It's about putting those things on the agenda, really, isn't it? Because I think brain injury has tended not to have such a um, a good profile as maybe other kinds of difficulties, um, including things around physical disability. So those kind of things are going to be increasingly important over the next few years, I think. Yeah, I think because uh, brain injury is quite new to uh, the education of the world uh, and not a lot of people are aware of a brain injury or what it entails or what it's about, a lot of people would kind of throw it to a title of something else. So like, for example, before before my car accident, if you had asked me, um, what, how would you describe someone with a disability? I'd kind of immediately kind of jump to someone maybe with Down syndrome or who's, who makes those loud noises or who doesn't quite walk normally, which is, again, a word that I use very sensibly because there's no such thing as normal. But there, there are a lot more disabilities out there, like I say, that not many of us are aware of. But I think I think the government needs to maybe educate the world in that just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And, and that may make me sound a bit crazy, but I mean that in the sense that you can't see a brain injury, but that doesn't mean I haven't got one. Exactly, and I think that's a really nice um, that's a really nice comment to sort of end today's podcast on because I think it highlights to people the need to be open minded 
and I'm really kind of quite sensitive to what people are struggling with that that's not always that evident and I still think that sometimes we're our lives now we we tend to rush around and they're very busy and we sometimes forget those things even though we know them we sometimes forget forget them in certain situations so I think that's a really good point and and thank you today for considering these issues Alan which I think are really important to our understanding of brain injury and the effects of that and particularly but not only for talking about those aspects of your visual impairment which people may I think be less aware of in terms of the effects of brain injury so thank you for that. No thank you for your time Richard and thank you for listening to me waffling on as usual Um, it's great to have your time and uh, I look forward to our next chat. Yeah, not at all, Alan. It's never waffle. It's always um, really useful. Thanks ever so much for your time. Speak soon. Speak soon, Richard. Thank you.